0: welcome back to the dark place where you must listen to podcasts to escape welcome back to triple click where we bring the games to you today we are talking about alan wake 2 a new video game from the finnish developers at remedy entertainment who have really created something special let's talk about it i'm jason schreier I'm Kirk Hamilton,
1: and I'm Maddie Myers. Hello,
0: hey, hello, it's hello, us, my friends. Once again, welcome back to the show. From the
1: darkness of winter, we come.
0: <laughs> From the dark place of winter, we come. It is the dark mm-hmm. place
1: of winter. It's it's the the days are getting shorter, which means there are fewer hours in which I can play Alan Wake Two. Huge issue mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> So yeah, I don't you don't like playing it at night. As <laughs>
0: soon as it gets dark, it's too scary for you. I keep
2: noticing that the podcasts that I make start becoming real in a kind of twisted, I know. nightmarish like, way, and I
1: don't I know think what to do about it. Video games might turn out to be real. Interesting. I, so uh-oh. you're saying it's kind of scary to think about that, isn't it? You're gonna bring
0: <laughs> Kirk is gonna bring me and Maddie to life. Wow, that that'll be scary. But
1: That would be really. Oh weird. man,
2: maybe maybe I am just a character that one of the two of you created. How can we know? And can, hey, hey no if people know?
0: if people out there want to bring us to life and make sure it stay <laughs> alive, they should become a, a member of the Maximum Fund Network, which is a network that hosts this old podcast of ours. So, hey, go to MaximumFund.org slash join and become a member. Help support us. Help us make the show possible because we don't have ads. We don't sell ads against anything. So we, nope. we rely on uh, beautiful subscriptions slash memberships from our beautiful, beautiful listenership. So... Subscribe, become a member, and not only do you support us, you also get a monthly bonus episode, including the one we just recorded and ran last week, which is called The Hunt for Best October, and a whole backlog, (laughs) lots more in there, and then lots more to come, including some really good ones in November and December. We're going to talk about some some, some games that I think people are eagerly awaiting uh, us to talk about in depth. Mm-hmm. Yes, on, for sure. On mm-hmm. Beanscasts, where we really just go, go into the meaty core of a video game and, and mm. get spoilers and all.
1: Getting out our steak knives and slicing open the meat mm. and exactly. getting to the core.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, sign up. It's uh, maximumfun.org/slash/join, and you too can join today. Kirk, what are we talking about this
2: week? We are talking about yet another video game. I don't know if the two of you noticed this. A lot of video games out this year. It's a real Pretty, problem.
1: It's a real problem. It's a Pretty
2: good year for video
1: games. Play the game again. We did it again. So here we
2: are again <laughs> to talk about a new game, exciting game, or at least a game that I'm very excited about called Alan Wake 2. I've written a little preamble to explain what it is and to put us in the mood.
1: I can't wait for you to explain what it is. <laughs> it's going to be so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really curious as to what you could possibly say. Go ahead.
2: It's not a lake, it's an ocean. Thirteen years after Alan Wake shared that cryptic yet somehow revelatory statement, the writer has returned in Alan Wake 2. Created by Finnish game studio Remedy Entertainment under the guiding hand of creative director Sam Lake... Alan Wake 2 snatches up the baton from the 2010 original, as well as its increasingly experimental downloadable expansions and its 2012 spin-off, Alan Wake's American Nightmare. It also establishes itself firmly in the world of Remedy's 2019 action game Control, building out a connected Remedyverse of characters, institutions, and paranormal phenomena. In Alan Wake 2, players return once more to the town of Bright Falls, Washington assuming control of the titular author, who when we last saw him had become trapped in a supernatural nether zone known as the Dark Place, slave to a malevolent force, the Dark Presence, which siphons artists' creative energy and is steadily twisting pages from his new novel into reality. Players also take control of a new character, FBI agent Saga Anderson, who has come to Bright Falls to investigate a series of mysterious murders and finds herself inexorably drawn into Alan's story. The game is thus a dual protagonist, third-person survival horror deal, very much in the mold of Resident Evil, with players jumping between Saga's investigation in seemingly idyllic Bright Falls and Alan's desperate attempts to escape the dark place, which manifests as a cursed, nightmarish vision of New York City. Like Rem- Remedy's previous games, it mixes tense exploration and chaotic combat with live-action interludes, original rock music, and extended, unapologetic fourth-wall breaks to create a storytelling stew that is often bizarre and never boring. We've all played the game on PC with codes provided by Remedy PR. I have finished it. It took me a little over 20 hours. I gather the two of you haven't. But let's start with the two of you, since you're earlier on. And just for the sake of spoilers, we're not going to be getting into some of the stuff that I've seen, because I don't want to spoil either of you on it. So how much of both of you played and what do you think of the game? Let's start with Maddie since I think you've played a little more than Jason. So why don't you go first?
1: Yeah, I'm further in. By the way, I actually am playing it on PS5. Runs just great. Oh, okay. Uh, but not PC for what it's worth. Oh, okay. okay. Love those, those sweet, sweet haptic triggers. Just makes it a little bit more terrifying, folks. Yeah, I've been playing on <laughs> PC
2: with the DualSense and it's an incredible <laughs> DualSense implementation. The raindrops on the controller. Anyways, uh, yeah. very good on PC with DualSense too. So
1: yeah. go ahead. Uh, well, we'll probably talk in a bit about all the different ways that Alan Wake 2 is scary which is to say every <laughs> single possible way that a game can do horror Alan Wake 2 does do horror uh except for maybe gore there's only a little bit of gore in the game so far uh so I I'm many hours in I get lost pretty easily in games so I, I'm probably not actually as far into the story as one might guess uh, based on how many hours I've played but I I I believe I'm at chapter four of Alan's story and chapter three of Sagas. I've been pretty consistently switching back and forth between them. Now that I've hit the part of the game after chapter one for each of them, I believe is around when they let you switch any time. I know you don't have to do that. I have coworkers who played all of Alan and then circled back to do all of Saga. I'm trying not to do that uh, and actually switch back and forth as I go. Uh, Game scary, that's that's my main takeaway. And also my other takeaway is that I kind of wish I had played Alan Wake 1 and the Control DLC and all the additional Remedyverse pieces because this game makes it very attractive to get involved in its lore in, in ways that uh, sometimes sometimes other games that we play and other media that we interact with don't make it fun like I I guess sort of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the obvious go-to here where maybe we're a little tired of it and we we don't like having to keep up with all of it anymore this is like the opposite where I'm like oh I I haven't kept up with all it's like the early
0: Marvel Cinematic Universe
1: yeah it's like it's like that, but it also kind of reminds me of, like, the first season of Lost. Like, it, there's a very, like, early 2000s or, like, just the brink of 2010s feeling to this game in, in that it feels like the four puzzle boxes were played out. You know what I mean? Like, discovering things in in this game feels very satisfying and exciting, even though I'm also of a mind that maybe it's not all going to fit together and it doesn't make any freaking sense. (laughs) I think that's
2: a really important observation, though, because I also find myself very drawn into the broader remedy-verse of it all. And this was true with Control as well, there aren't a lot of answers. There aren't a lot of firm answers. I will say by the end of Alan Wake 2, there are some things that become less ambiguous, but there's so much mystery. It's so Lynchian. it's so influenced by Twin Peaks where the asking of the questions is part of the fun. And I think that lost comparison is a really good one. That's a different kind of lore than the MCU, which increasingly feels like homework because it's so straightforward in a lot of ways. Like it really Mm -hmm. is just a bunch of characters with really plain-spoken stories and you kind of know what they're doing and then you just need to know what everyone's doing in order for the next conflict to make sense. In this case, it's more like it's much more abstract, and so it actually I do find it more enticing as well. I find myself with friends just going down weird rabbit holes, trying to figure out who Thomas Zane is or whatever um, about this game. So
1: <laughs> I googled Thomas Zane earlier today. <laughs> yeah, a very
2: mysterious guy. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot to that, and agree that the the broader remedy verse is very enticing to me. Because it's so mysterious and Mm -hmm. kind of there aren't that many answers. Uh, Jason, what do you you think of the game and how much of it have you played?
0: Yeah, I think there's something ironic, probably some irony in the fact that um, I am about to spend three weeks in a writing hole trying to finish my book for a deadline and (laughs) and therefore... Will therefore not be able to play anymore Alan Wake 2 as much as I would like to. For the best, maybe.
2: Um, (laughs) It could be fairly stressful, especially later in this game. Some of those scenes of him trapped in that room, writing,
1: spiraling on his typewriter. Yeah, Mm I don't know. This game really makes writing a book seem like the worst possible thing you could do (laughs) ever. Well,
0: using a typewriter (laughs) seems pretty miserable to me, but on a typewriter, you can't be distracted by the internet, so that's helpful. Um, mm. yeah, I'm not very far. I actually just got up to, I haven't played it in a week cause I was in, um, uh, Anaheim for BlizzCon over the last week. Um, right. but last, like last Tuesday or Monday or whatever, before I left, the last thing I had played was actually in Alan's first chapter, um, where you first start seeing all the live action stuff and craziness. Um, I think I just met Adi the janitor from Control. Yes. Hung out with him for a bit, which is very delightful. Love him. Um, yes. Love so, Ati definitely. So I'm not very far, so I'm not going to be able to, um, put, like, ra- point out and get all the references and stuff that you guys, uh, you both know at this point. But, um... I've really enjoyed what I played so far, other than that first boss. It was a real pain in the ass the first couple times I tried to beat him. Um, What's his name? Nightingale. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it looks really great. It looks gorgeous. It's really cool. Um, I think Saga is a really interesting protagonist. She's got kind of a cool perspective as a mom and as this Mm -hmm. FBI agent who's coming in and trying to figure out what's what, although I was a little bit um, kind of like disconcerted by the fact that it seemed like this normal world but then she's just kind of like rolling Psychic. with the punches as <laughs> uh, no, she she's just like rolling with the punches as one spiritual mysterious things happens another which is very bizarre
1: yeah and she herself seems to be very familiar with the supernatural world in that it, it doesn't take long at all before you're like, wait, does Saga have some sort of preternatural detecting ability where like she can sort of talk to suspects or, or people involved in, in the mystery and then infer things about them that seem impossible to infer. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty early on into the game before I started being like, is Saga a witch of some kind? And what's really going <laughs> on here? Definitely the
0: name, definitely the name Saga conjures witch, witches. Um, yeah, she she's cool and and I just I just have really enjoying it in general I'm wishing I had time, more time to play it especially when I find things like these nursery rhyme puzzles that I really want to dive into and take the Take hours just like staring at and riddling away at, which I will not be able to do for for uh, at least another month or two. So, I'm gonna put a pin in this game, and we'll hopefully hopefully people will, will still be talking about it when I do get a chance to play more.
2: I definitely will be, and I'll be excited to talk to you about it. Um, yeah, so like I said, I finished it. I absolutely love this game. This is one of the coolest video games I played in a really long time. I think it's just. Incredible! I by my God, I I can't believe it exists. This is one of those games like I'm, I know, like some people actually feel about Death Stranding, a game that I've come to really appreciate. But that's the last time I played a game that felt quite so unapologetically strange and original. And I'm just so impressed by Sam Lake and so very happy that he managed to find someone else to foot the bill for such a grand expression of his and his studio's creative vision. I think this game is just absolutely awesome. Um, I have a lot to say about it. Uh, I guess I'll explain, though, a few more things about how it works since we're talking about Saga Mm -hmm. and her ability to maybe possibly psychically tell what people are thinking Mm -hmm. and One important thing about this game that I think people should know going in is that it is a very narrative-focused game. It is more narrative-focused, certainly, than Control, which was very much an action kind of Metroidvania-style third-person action game. Lots of explosive, big fights, supernatural Mm -hmm. powers flying around, tons of enemies.
1: Gaining ability after ability, superpowers. Um, And
2: narratively very cool, but the narrative is in equal proportion to the uh to the combat in the game. This game I would say is more like 70-30, maybe 75-25 narrative to gameplay. There's a lot of exploration. It's very much a survival horror game, so even much more so than Alan Wake or anything that Remedy has ever made. It's a lot of intense Fights against two or three enemies that are very hard to kill. It's probably hardest at the very beginning. I agree, Jason. That opening boss, Nightingale, who fun fact is voiced by Doug Cockle, who played Geralt of Rivia. In oh, the that's funny! Wow, that's yeah. very funny. Found that out in the credits. Thought that was kind of cool. Um, a tough early fight, and it kind of I found I got into a with it pretty early. But the gameplay is. There's not that much combat. It's a lot of walking around and looking at stuff, and then it's a lot of spending time assembling the story on a corkboard. Because a really cool idea that this game really commits to is that both characters, Alan and Saga, have an internal space in uh, Alan's case, he's in the dark place, which is kind of a dream world anyways, so he's trapped in this writer's room. It's the attic of a building where his typewriter is, and he has a wall where he's drawing all of his narrative ideas, and that it's kind of his, like, writer's wall, so that's kind of a supernatural thing anyways. With Saga, it's a little more unusual, because, like you said, Jason, it's a little weird at first, where she's really rolling with it as very strange things <laughs> yeah. are happening, and it's pretty disconcerting because she's just like, okay, yeah, that guy came out of the lake, he seems to have some kind of magical Dark shroud around him. I don't know. Anyways, he's he's, <laughs> he's attacking me even though the heart is removed from his chest. He killed like three police officers in front of uh-huh, me. Uh, like,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. He came I, back we'll
0: to going. life in the, in the morgue. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think the um, wildest part of that moment that you just described is that the police officers come downstairs to multiple bodies and they yes. are faced by A it. A very
2: jarring moment that I it's remember when so I was playing as well. Strange. Well, I, and I, as you play the game more, it becomes, it's not like there's like an an explicit explanation for that, but there is a tonal one where the whole game is on that kind of bent twin peaks wavelength where it's just like weird things happen plus in fairness bright falls is like the most haunted place in the world and horrible things have been happening there forever so
1: strange right it would also
2: not be that surprising for the police officers there to be like oh yeah some more of our cops got killed by some weird monster in the basement
1: (laughs) yeah they're like stepping over a a dead body while also telling you that magic isn't real like at the same time and you're like well how did this person die that you just stepped over if if not by the the zombie running out of the room but i don't know i guess maybe magic is or isn't real depending on who you ask in bright falls but yeah go back to describing the mind place i interrupted you
2: Oh, no, that's fine. Um, it's it's very very Twin Peaks-y where, um, in, in Twin Peaks, it's that same thing where there's almost a supernatural element at play in some of the deductions that are going on. That was his name. The FBI agent is, uh, is, is deducing. With Saga, that winds up being a major part of her character. And if you'll recall, even going into this game, I mean, Saga is a figure from Norse mythology. This is a world, a universe in which Thor and Odin are the band leaders of a band called the Old Gods of Asgard, who played a song that was in control, who played Song that were in Alan Wake 1, who... Not a huge surprise to hear turn up in this game as well. So it's like there's also this sort of Norse mythological vibe tying mm-hmm. in with this. A fun thing about Bright Falls in general is that it feels kind of like a town in Finland <laughs> or something. Like yeah, this everybody is a very there Finnish is Scandinavian <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> like because, of course, Remedy is a, a Finnish studio. So yeah, the Mind Palace, her Mind Place. I know, I
1: keep wanting to call it a Mind Palace too, but it's I think not. she calls it her
2: Mind Place. It's mind but Place. But she's like, yes. I think she describes it as being based on the Mind Palace approach. So she's even kind of referencing the sort of Sherlock Holmesian thing. Mm-hmm. She has this room. It's this very, very cozy room in which you can really get a good look at her sweater, which I would have to say is like the third lead of this game is oh. Saga Anderson's sweater. What a sweater. You
1: wouldn't say her ponytail? Her ponytail's is incredible. Ponytail is
2: pretty great, too. <laughs> yeah, They, they used Gorgeous. all of those lighting and ray tracing and whatever, mm-hmm. path tracing, to make some amazing looking uh, clothes. Thing and hairstyles in this yep. thing. so she's in this very cozy kind of cabin where you can walk around and it's like your manuscript pages are over here and then you're, there's your big crime wall and it's really cool and like really involved I was so surprised by how involved it is the game really takes you through it at first where you're kind of You know, you have a photo. Okay, there was a murder. You look at the murder and then she lays out kind of automatically when you put the murder photo up, she lays out some uh, note cards that'll say motive of murder, you know, weapon with a question mark. And then you have some Polaroids in your hand that you then have to kind of place in the right places. And as you do so, they very pleasingly get stuck up onto the board and a little red string connects things. And I think it's a really smart approach for a game like this because the more you play, the more of those you're filling out, there are a series of cases. And so all the way through collectibles, you know, you're collecting these lunchboxes, each lunchbox gets its own little entry, but then also whole things like, you know, whole storylines, what's going on with Alan Wake or what's going on with the cult of the tree, this cult that's apparently killing people. And as you go, you can watch Saga kind of reason through what's happening. And it keeps the player in the loop, like it is really helpful for keeping you grounded in what's going on in the story, since it's this labyrinthine narrative full of contradictions and mysterious dream logic. So having this board that just lays it all out as best as she can figure is very, very helpful, I think. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. I I never got bored of doing that. I was thinking about how uh, in previous Games. Whenever a game tries to make their menu something clever where you walk around or something like that, it's always a pain. In this, it works. And I think one of the reasons it works is, to back up for a second, the three of us have talked a little bit and thought a little bit about how this console generation has not felt next-gen, um, in that the graphics haven't made huge leaps from what we can tell. Everything kind of feels like the PS4 era in a lot of ways, in part because there's a lot of cross-gen stuff, but for a lot of reasons. This game, to me, feels really next-gen, not just because... It looks really cool, but also because being able to zip back and forth and no loading times—that's what to me feels uh, like—is like one of these big next-gen innovations. Mm -hmm. You're on a solid state drive now, so you're you're, gonna—you don't have to worry about like all this stuff loading in every single time you go to this mine place—I almost said palace—mine (laughs) place—and and back to the real world. And I think that's pretty cool. It allows for some innovations like the one we're just seeing, where essentially your menu is in this little explorable place, but it doesn't feel annoying.
1: Yeah, it feels great. And I think also uh, we've talked before about solving a mystery in a game and how hard it can be for a game to give you that Sherlock Holmes fantasy of feeling like you're figuring it out at the same time as the protagonist. Like usually you'll be ahead of them and then you'll be annoyed that they're placing the clues in, in some arcane way and that you have to jump through those hoops. Or the opposite happens where the character's figuring it out and you're like, wait, what? Okay, I guess the game's just telling me that's the murderer. Fine. It's really hard to split that difference. And this game is more doing the latter, I would say, than the former. Saga's smarter than I am, for sure. But I think that works because the game is not about putting me in control, And I'm not just saying that because it's the name of a remedy game. Like the game (laughs) is really interested in making me feel powerless and alienated a lot of the time. And even when Saga feels like she knows what to do, I, the player, am like the friend in the backseat who's like, "Ah, everything's so crazy, Saga. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad you're feeling good about this. But like this woods is freaking me out, man. Like she's (laughs) cool as a cucumber, but.
0: And when it's dark out, you go to sleep in the back, you close the shades and you're like, yeah. I can't handle
1: this. <laughs> I can't handle this. I can't. Saga, you
0: drive a while. Don't. don't, let, I
1: don't wanna, <laughs> yeah, I'm falling asleep in the back of the car this. while I let Saga drive. I am much closer to Alan, who's constantly panicking in his in his version of the world. <laughs> That's closer to me. Uh, but, yeah. But you know what I mean. Like when you're playing a horror game, it has to sort of uh, design around the idea of giving you that power fantasy versus not. And um, I, I think this game is is really good at making you, the player, feel scared even while also presenting Saga as this incredible detective who is cool as a cucumber. Mm.
2: Yeah, they have a lot of fun with that over the course of the story, too. As Saga becomes increasingly enmeshed in the story, she becomes more and more lost and actually more frightened because Mm. the way that this dark presence manifests is by sucking everyone in and making them all a part of this draft that Alan is trying to finish. And I won't get into the specifics, but this was... True in the first game, but we only saw it really from Alan's perspective. And having a new character in the second game, especially with some of the stuff that was set up in the control DLC, where Alan is trying to find a hero for his story, so that he can maybe change the way the story is flowing, so that he can escape the influence of the dark presence, which manifested in whatever as like Scratch and as all these different characters in the various DLCs. He's trying to get out, and so that kind of. Pulls all these people in. Um, Saga's partner, anyone playing this game who's played Remedy games will notice immediately, basically is Max Payne. Even though that also means that Saga's partner is Sam Lake, the director of the game and the head of Remedy. Because Sam Lake lent his face to be Max Payne and Alex Casey is the character's name. Oh, my God. I can't even. <laughs> I've started on the wrong foot. I, I know, should explain like, this. this I feel like this gives a good sense.
1: That
2: again. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rewind. Yep. So <laughs> Saga shows up with a partner. Her partner is a guy named Alex Casey. Alex Casey is played physically by Sam Lake, the director of Remedy. He is voiced by, what's his name? James McCaffrey, I think is his mm-hmm. name. That's right. Um, and who is the voice of Max Payne from the original games, and also the voice of director Trench from Control. So he's like a voice that is always turning up. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically he's like this hodgepodge of other Remedy characters who's appeared suddenly in this world. But also in the world of Alan Wake, Alan Wake is a novelist who writes crime fiction about a detective named Alex Casey. And this Alex Casey is talking about, he's always talking at the beginning about how he's like, yep, I'm named the same as the guy from the Alan Wake books. It's a yep. thing. Everyone always asks me about it. So,
1: so from the very start, you're like, okay, what? Like what? immediately. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, and, and also it, it it's Sam Lake. So like, if you're a games that. journalist, you know his face anyway. So you're immediately right. like, well, Sam Lake's in this video game. That's really and this game looks so good that it it's very clearly Sam Lake like it, when when you see him it's not there's no confusion there yeah. like you can just see him and be like that's that guy i i mean we haven't right. really talked about the live action aspects of the game yet and like the guy who plays alan wake but i think part of why those sections work at all is because the game Looks so realistic and also because the live action segments are lit in such a way as to look somewhat uncanny so that they can sort of blend between one another without you feeling, well, I don't want to say without you feeling as disturbed, the opposite, to <laughs> maximize the disturbance of switching between live action segments of this game and also seeing very photorealistic actors portraying parts as as models, as 3D models. I, I, I just, I don't know, that the whole game makes you feel like you have no idea what is real. That's the whole purpose of it though, is to then include the literal director of the game as a character <laughs> in the game. It's freaking weird, man. I don't know.
2: (laughs) It gets weird. And you can tell that Sam Lake is having so much fun. I mean, there are so many sequences, especially in the dream world, which, yeah, let's talk a little more about that, about the dark place where Alan is living, where it just seems like this is Sam Lake's dream. I mean, this guy is clearly... Such a like media obsessive. He actually
0: shares that in common with Hideo Kojima. I think it's a yes. certain type. I was about to bring up Kojima. Like if you're going to put yourself in a game, I'm surprised Kojima hasn't put himself in a game as a main character yet. Maybe he'll he'll play this and and then he'll be inspired. It's funny because it.
2: Kojima is in Cyberpunk. I was just when I was replaying Cyberpunk, you find him in this bar and he's talking about video games or something. <laughs> I wonder what he he thinks of this, he must have talked about it because he must see a kindred spirit in Sam Lake. There's this certain type of video game otor that is the like media obsessive, like really mm-hmm. into movies, really into certain styles of other media and likes to bring that into the world of video games as opposed to someone like, I don't know, Jonathan Blow or someone who's just like really (laughs) into like game design and like just wants to come up with new game design ideas. Lucas Pope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Lucas Pope is a good example. Um, So this definitely feels like that first type because there's so much cinema in this game. A lot of the best parts of the game are like
1: Mm -hmm. incredible things that you're watching. And then
2: also... I, I'll mention it here. There's so much amazing music in this game That's was true it's of incredible. Control, that was true of the first Alan Wake. There's a band, Poets of the Fall, a Finnish rock band, who have provided the music of the old gods of Asgard who have appeared in all of these games mm-hmm. they were the ones who played the Ashtray Maze song from Control, still for me one of the greatest music yeah. video game moments of all time and like, they do some incredible stuff in this game as well they even have a callback there's this song from the first Alan Wake The Lady of the Light, I think it's called The Poet and the Muse is the actual name of the song I'm just going to play a little bit of it right now The muse she went down to the lake And in the way she Nur see a love
1: set free. You will need the witches Kevin key. Find the lady of the light gone mad with the night. That's how you reshape destiny.
2: It's such a good song. It returns. At a moment in Alan Wake 2, and just reminded me of the needle drop in the first game. That's that band. I just, I feel like having a band like that on call to write epic, like, prog rock Zeppelin y sounding songs for you is such a trump card for this studio. Like, every game studio should form a relationship with a cool rock band. I
1: agree, but I, but I'll <laughs> also we should. say, awesome. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should have we should. one for triple click, absolutely. But I, I feel like part of, why this doesn't scan as like self-congratulatory or annoying or self-aggrandizing or something is because I often get this sense that Sam Lake is making fun of himself. Like, yes, he's sort of playing the role of this Alex Casey character, but that's not really the main character. Like he isn't Saga. He isn't Alan Wake. He's kind of this other being who's sort of on the periphery of the story at all times and I I kind of I I mean I don't know this I've not asked him but I get the sense in his portrayal of Alex Casey that he's kind of making fun of the idea of him being in the game and like the idea of kind of fame in that way like a lot of the story alan's story is about his discomfort with that level of fame that he achieved he's sort of the stephen king-esque super famous writer within the world of the game yeah yeah yeah, exactly or like a john grisham or something because he's more of like an airport novelist uh Mm -hmm. and and he's very uncomfortable with that and I I just feel like this game isn't like somehow because of that tone throughout of of self-effacingness, it doesn't come across as annoying to have like us songs that are written specifically for your game. Like I I feel like that's something that Kojima games sometimes struggle with is that sometimes mm. I'm like yeah, movies are are cool but like is this cool also or is this just sort of us talking about how cool movies are like i feel like there's a version of this game that's like an imitation of twin peaks that's the worst thing ever do you get what i'm saying but instead this actually feels like it's in conversation with twin peaks and building on some of those themes and actually has something more to say as opposed to just being like twin peaks what a cool tv show Remember that?
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I totally agree. There's a sort of a light touch and a bit of goofiness to those scenes, especially the ones with Sam Lake. It helps that Sam Lake, I think, is a genuinely compelling on-screen presence. Like, he's mm-hmm. not bad. He's he's like an interesting-looking guy who knows how to act and carry himself on screen. And as a result, it's fun to watch him do things because when you're playing as Alan in the dark, in the dark place – there are these frequent vignettes that are these live action sequences. It starts with another character that we haven't actually talked about, Mr. Door, mm-hmm. who's the host of a talk show, is played by David Harewood. Um, yeah. My sense, or my, my gut is that this, was originally supposed to be Lance Reddick because Lance Reddick was in Quantum Aww. Break and Lance Reddick is referenced in the credits. They sort of, uh, you oh, know, he would have been
1: pay so tribute good. to him in the credits. I love David Harewood in this role, by the way, but I can, mm-hmm. he, I can yes. picture the a very different version done by Lance Reddick He as well. Actually,
0: the character reminded me of this character from Lost that Lance Reddick played called Matthew mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It, and yeah, Mr. Doerr is, is like very uncannily similar yeah. to him. And so, yes, Kirk I'm like uh, huh. in fact I should I bet I could let me text someone right now and see if I can get an answer to that question although it's a little late okay, if you can get the answer in Finland let me see all right we'll see if you get a response <laughs> bing future Jason here pulling a Kirk to explain that after I sent this message it was too late in Finland to get a response but the next morning I did get a response and this is from my person who would certainly know the answer is yes Lance Reddick was meant to play Mr. Dor until his unfortunate passing. All right, back to the show. Um, so t- to, to stay on that, though,
2: yeah, there are, there are some loose ties to Quantum Break, even though Remedy doesn't have the rights to Quantum Break. Yes. So it's more like their actors from that game will appear and stuff. And they you get the sense that they would love to connect all of their games. Mm-hmm. And I could see them casting um, Lance Reddick as a sort of similar character to, to the character that he played in Quantum Break and having him play that role. Though David Harewood, who is the actor who plays Mr. Adore, is fantastic. It's really oh, yeah. an incredible performance. Um, and a very one. So you'll cut to these scenes of Alan being interviewed by this guy, and they're totally, like, making fun of the kinds of promotional interviews that authors give in a really funny way where Alan is in a dream. he It's even the way that they present these sequences, to go way back to something you said, Jason, about the next-geniness of this, mm-hmm. the technology, I think, makes it possible for them to do a lot of this sort of overlaying or, like, you'll be exploring an area as Saga and you'll see a flash of somewhere that Alan is. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know if that's what you're seeing. It's not even always clear to me, now that I've finished the game.
1: Yeah, like you'll see like a train tunnel, and then way later you're in a train tunnel as Alan. As Alan, and it's why
2: I do actually recommend I liked playing back and forth. I went, I did kind of chapter to chapter, or like Mm -hmm. kind of clear stopping point back and forth between the two, because they do overlap at various points in really cool ways, and I think the technology makes that possible. And then because Alan's in like a, a place that just totally follows dream logic, I mean there are these loops he'll get stuck in where he's walking down a staircase and opens a door and then he's back at the t- top of the staircase and has to go down again. Like yep. it's really rebuilding the levels as he moves through them and then sometimes you'll just come to a TV screen and on the TV screen is live action Alan and you hold down the button and then it cuts to that live action Alan who looks over his shoulder and then suddenly there he is on a screen and you're in live action and he's talking to Mr. Door and then it like something very strange happens in their conversation and the next thing you know you're controlling Alan and he's standing in the empty television studio like they're able to do stuff like that so constantly and then i mean that's child's play compared to the stuff they pull off even kind of early on in the story like some Mm -hmm. of the stuff they're doing is so freaking cool with like live action projections around you while you're moving through the game world Mm -hmm. people like in the sky like these actors looking down on you i mean like presentationally and aesthetically it's just so visionary it feels like this visionary work of entertainment even leaving aside all the narrative stuff all the gameplay stuff just the way that it looks and the experience of moving through it is really remarkable mm.
1: just to get back to something you said uh in that little diatribe, Kirk uh, about Alan waking <laughs> up in the studio that is one of my favorite horror elements that they keep returning to is sort of the actors' mm. nightmare element like in the first interview that Alan has he's like I haven't even written a book like yeah, I don't like congratulations yeah and and like mr is like well of course you have and he like takes it out and it's right there and like that is I mean it's it's a certainly a dream I've had because I, I did yep. theater as a kid and even as an adult I have the classic like oh I'm late to class dream but I also have the mm-hmm. actor's nightmare dream where like oh it's a show but I don't I don't know remember yep. any of the songs or I don't know any of my lines and oh mm-hmm. my god I'm being pushed out on stage like it's it's terrifying and this this game really takes theatrical Elements of, of design and puts them into a video game in a really seamless way and also makes them horrific and stressful. And I think that that is a form uh, that I haven't really seen a horror game do that I, I find very effective <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, what? Absolutely. Is this
2: game borrows a lot from theater and from like art installations in ways that are so, so cool it, yep. and that just continue as it goes along.
0: So, mm-hmm. okay. So uh, real quick, I just want to talk about the gameplay because that's a lot of bu- I've been doing, at least in the first Saga chapter, um, as you guys know, I'm not Mm -hmm. super far, but um, it seems very Resident Evil. I haven't played the first Alien Race, I don't know if that's similar, but comparing it to Control, like you said before, Kirk, very different types of games, but Control feels a little bit more like a kind of... um, uh, I don't know, classic video game structure, you get more powerful, eventually you're just blasting through things and it's just a blast to fly around and use telekinesis and all sorts of cool tricks. This feels a little bit more like resources are limited, scavenge for what you can, move a lot, look for the light, the same sort of classic Resident Evil gameplay style we've been seeing for a little while now. First of all, was the first game like that? Second of all, um, do you guys think they like just took Resident Evil and were like, yep, that's what we're doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Even the inventory uh, is like straight out of yeah Evil.
2: yeah. To answer the second part first, yes, I think they've been explicit about the Resident Evil influence. To the first part, um, this is much more survival horror than the mm, first game okay. was, and much more explicitly Resident Evil uh, influence. Like the two protagonists is part of it, but the way you move, the way that enemies move, the feel of a fight is just a lot fewer enemies. They're harder to kill and you have to manage your resources much more carefully i found like i eventually hoarded enough stuff that i always kind of felt prepared once i had two or three weapons mm. cuz you empty a gun and then you need to keep shooting right. so it's like all right shotgun's empty got to move to the crossbow okay crossbow's empty got to move to my handgun and then you're like i'm getting out of bullets i need a flare like you need a oh shit gun that you can just pull out and you know if you're really getting swarmed but yeah i'd say it's it's very resident evil influenced i wouldn't say it's not as strong um, on the combat as as Control, a game that I think is really, really fun, as Max Payne a series that I think is really fun. First Alan Wake, I kind of remember feeling pretty boring. So I think I would find it, I'd say I find it more interesting than the first Alan Wake, but it's not quite as good just as a pure combat game as Resident Evil 4. There are some things about it that I find annoying. Uh, there are just times in combat where like the Whatever you want to call it, the, the balance is a little bit off. The push and pull doesn't quite feel right. There's one thing that drives me nuts is you have to use your flashlight to burn the, mm-hmm. um, the shadow off of guys before you can damage them. Mm-hmm. Or you do a lot more damage if get you Get their weak that. spot, their big glowing red weak spot. Right, and you get a glowing weak spot. Um, and something that really frustrates me is you replace your batteries once your flashlight runs out of batteries – But sometimes that'll happen right after you've used your last segment of your battery bar to burn someone's shield off and they're vulnerable right after that happens. But instead of being able to just pull out your gun and shoot them while they're vulnerable, like while they're staggered, you'll pause and like your character will put batteries back in their flashlight and it drives me nuts. I think it's such a bad... Feeling it's like a weird video game rule that you should never interrupt the like flow of inputs that way, just because they happen to use the last segment of mm. a battery uh, in your flashlight. <laughs> but generally, I think the combat's pretty good. I, th- I find it pretty fun. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I think it's fine. I it, it doesn't feel as good as Resident Evil to me, or at least the latter yeah. day Resident Evils that it's mimicking. But I don't think it's intended to. I feel like it's it's a much closer to a super stressful walking simulator in terms of what the they're trying to evoke like a lot of times you can just avoid enemies entirely if if you're alan at least you can kind of predict like okay there's a lot of shadows there i can dodge around a lot of them and just get through it and then get whatever i need to and keep going uh there are some situations where you can't do that but i i don't know i do that more often than not. such as <laughs>
0: the first boss fight which yeah, i mean that's a boss of fight.
1: Pain.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little, about the differences in gameplay between Saga and Alan, and also about the scary factor, because, Matt, yeah. you mentioned that. And I do want to come back to it, because I, this is actually a pretty scary game, and people should Very know scary. that. Um, the, the, there is a pretty significant difference between the saga segments and the Alan segments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the saga segments play like Alan Wake 1 and mm-hmm. the Alan Wake sex- segments play like the Alan Wake DLC is is kind of how I would compare it to anybody who's, who's played those two games or how to explain it. But um, Saga is really like exploring a town. There are a lot of collectibles she can get. I'll say, actually, I think the collectibles are pretty great. There are these cult stashes. Each one has a puzzle. Mm -hmm. I find them very fun, um, by and large. I think they're fun to try to solve. Each one is unique. One was just a math problem. It was like... (laughs) There is 200 wheels in a factory. Yeah. Bikes have two wheels. Cars have four wheels. It's just like, an how many?
1: Problem, bikes? Yeah. It was just a problem. And I just sat there. I was
0: like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. So they, they had fun with those. But it's a lot of that. That's it's awesome. just. A- I want to play a game that's just going around and doing math, math problems. It's kind of what the game is. <laughs> yeah. I it's want that. Uh, There's at least it's a, a little bit. Of of a new
1: form of horror that Sam <laughs> Lake discovered. Solving math Someone problems. should do like
0: an SAT prep that's like a game, like an Alan Wake style game where you go around and explore a town and you have to solve puzzles that are just like SAT. Questions. <laughs>
1: yeah, why isn't that a game? It sounds amazing.
0: That seems like it would prepare a
2: lot of students. Yeah, it'd be great—an engaging way to prepare students uh-huh. for college. Um, so, a saga. It's, it feels very much like Alan Wake one, like a pretty traditional survival horror. Alan's segments are very different. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they are—they are more like the like a walking simulator, like you said, Maddie, because there are fewer types of enemies. And the way that it works is, I think, ingenious. It's something I've never really encountered. Silent Hill has played with this, but you're yep. in this nightmare New York City. You're walking around and there are just shadows everywhere. There's like shadow figures. For starters, they're just very disconcerting because yeah, they, they say, keep
1: saying your name. Wake!
2: I, wake. <laughs> I don't and, like And it. it's never like, The sound design to shadow, I mean, every technical aspect of this game is incredible. The sound is really remarkable. The music will start playing, this, like, keening tone. And you just hear them all saying, like, I drowned, I drowned. Yeah, out, and you're like, Wah, like, and they constantly like you'll come around the corner and it's like, wait, and you're just like, stop it! Like I'm always talking to them, I'm like, stop saying my name. You. <laughs> Most of those shadows are not dangerous. You can just sort of point your flashlight. Yeah, at not them.
1: unless you bump into them actively or shine sometimes. the flashlight at them. Yes. yes.
2: Sometimes they'll react badly. Sometimes you can kind of just walk through them, but then sometimes they become corporeal and they attack you, and mm-hmm. you never really feel safe. And I think it's a really smart design because you're mostly just moving around and you're trying to get to the next place and whatever go answer the phone go get to the hotel whatever like do something Mm -hmm. but they're just in between you and there you never really know what you're going to run into and the game has a few little cues that it tells you the music when it starts getting scary okay you're going to have to fight but you never really know what you're going to have to fight and it really puts you on edge it creates a very tense experience Um, I find that to be it's not that scary but it's very tense there were definitely Mm -hmm. points where I was just like like kind of laughing and talking to the game, being like, stop it, stop it, leave me alone. The saga (laughs) sections can actually be scary in a different way because there are these jump scares in this game. Yep. (laughs) Where out of nowhere, a spirit, like a figure, will flash onto the screen Mm -hmm. with a really intense audio Cue, usually at a moment when you're already kind of tense, like you're opening a door, you're crossing a threshold. And there are some later in the game at a point that I think neither of you have reached yet that are so scary that like I was like having full like my nervous system ejected from my body. Like when the first one hit me, there's one that anyone who's played the game knows. And the two of you will know when you reach it um, not to psych you out it's very fun because they're kind of they're they're not actually like there's nothing you have to do when they happen yeah. they just come out of nowhere and they make you jump they're and like, so
1: anybody who grew up with the internet it's like that kind of classic internet jump scare where like somebody yes. sends you like a website oh, and it's like man. a maze uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they're like just defeat this maze in one minute and then within maybe 15 seconds like a scary face pops up and it's like oh, wow like, yeah. and, like, dist- Maddie,
0: what them, a and great, distorts the. What audio great <laughs> back
1: that's the kind of jump scares this game that has.
0: That is a great
2: call, though. That's exactly what <laughs> it's like.
0: Nostalgic thinking about this. It's, it's such a different kind of. Fear. You're, so, you're so focused on the maze, exactly. or whatever you're, really you're doing. On you're the
1: like, maze. okay, okay, yes. I got to do yep. this, and then bam, yep. <laughs> it's. <so> Which <laughs> is just what, what this game does, this and it's game.
2: <laughs> and it's kind of wild that I I don't think I've really seen this in a game before. I'm sure it's happened, but usually jump scares in games are like Dead Space. You know, there's a necromorph behind you. Oh God! And then you're in this stressful panic situation where you have to deal with the necromorph. This game, it really is, where you're, you're, like, trying to solve a puzzle, mm-hmm. it lulls you into a little bit of, like, okay, we gotta get into this door, and then, Wah! And then this thing mm-hmm. jumps out at you, and it just gives you this jolt of adrenaline, <laughs> and then you're just in front of a door, like, there's nothing happening. I feel
0: like, uh, I feel like the Arkham games did that with, like, uh, Joker, Scares, oh, or sure. Scarecrow, yeah. Scarecrow stuff. I feel like I've seen They those did, enough, they right? kind
2: of mess with you, and those games use dream logic, I think, in creative ways. The the mm-hmm. level of, I guess there are a couple, you're right, uh, That now I'm thinking back to the Arkham games where they did a jump scare mm-hmm. and it was yeah. equally effective. I guess the man bat thing that I was talking about yeah. just a couple episodes uh-huh. ago is one.
0: But I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking of like a Joker specific moment when like suddenly Joker is in your face. Yeah, yeah. He actually think, does yeah. the man
2: bat scare in Arkham <laughs> Night. He does the exact same thing, like right. where he's like waiting. Yeah, you, yeah. S- you like grapple up to a building and he's like, boo! And you're like, yeah.
1: fuck you, I don't do
2: laugh. <laughs> So good. Um, so a similar feeling where I felt. I was always laughing, but there were times where I was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) like, I have to get through this segment. It's this one chapter of Sokka's story where they just keep doing this scary (laughs) face that really scared me. And um, so I will say, genuinely a scary game, scarier than Resident Evil to me. It doesn't have the thing that Resident Evil does that I find most stressful, which is you're being hunted Mm. by a, like, procedural sort of AI unkillable thing that's just going to turn up and chase you that doesn't really happen in this game it's more atmosphere and then you know boss fights and monsters coming at you and occasionally jump scares but I did find it to be like genuinely disconcerting the audiovisual vibe of it when you're in a really scary basement that's kind of flooded and there's you know it really does start to feel scary so it's not for the faint of heart though If you are up for that kind of thing, it's a great horror game. It's one of the best horror games I've ever played or one of my favorites.
1: Mm -hmm. I I think the jump scares are probably my least favorite part of the entire game. I I (laughs) don't like them and I wish I could turn them off. Pretty much every Mm -hmm. other aspect of the game's horror... I can deal with and respect what it's trying to do. And that's enough that I'm going to complete the game because I really like what it's doing. Uh, And I like all the other horror elements that are there. Like one of my favorite parts is really early Jason. So you've probably already seen it. It's a conversation that Saga has with the waitress in the diner where Mm -hmm. they sort Mm -hmm. of disagree about the nature of reality. And Mm -hmm. that part really freaked me out. And that's not a jump scare at all. I just was like, this is like a broad daylight conversation where I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like what is (laughs) real in this world? And I, I like that type of horror a lot. And this game does that a lot. Mm -hmm. I talked about Jordan Peele's us last week, and I'm really glad I just watched it because this is also a game about kind of the idea of a doppelganger who's doing things that other people are blaming you for. And that's like a sort of methodology of Mm. horror that I think resonates with any person, like the idea of, of people being angry with you for something you either don't know about or can't remember doing. That conversation reminded psychological... me of
0: Shutter Island. That conversation, with yes, the yeah, mm.
1: and also mm-hmm. um, Silent Hill too, which is sort of like a classic uh, kind of outside reality, learning who the character is as you are playing as them throughout an entire story, and and that's like a form of horror that. I really enjoy is like, oh, this character that I'm playing as has a secret I don't even understand until I've Mm -hmm. completed their story. And it is maybe even a horrifying secret. Uh, I love all of that. And I think even if you're like me and you really hate jump scares... All those other aspects of horror are so strong in this game that I still really recommend it. Like, I recommend kind of muscling through what I consider like the cheaper, like 1999 Maze website level of horror that (laughs) makes the game not sound very fun, but like the rest of it is so well done and well told that I I really enjoy it and recommend it a lot.
2: Agree. Yeah. Having played the whole thing, Saga is a great character and I'm really looking forward to you know, seeing where her story goes next and to the DLC for this game, which I think will be sort of similar to the first game and we'll explore some new, uh, interesting areas. And of course, then Control 2. I mean, we have this oh, whole yeah. world now of mystery and and mayhem that can uh, just continue to be elaborated upon. So very exciting stuff. A really, really cool game that, yeah, just to say one more time, I absolutely loved. So that's that's Alan Wake 2. Let's take a break and then we'll be back for one more thing. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or you can't decide what is the best nut or can't agree on what is the best cheese? Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. We got this. Hey, Sydney, you're a physician and the co-host of Sawbones, a marital tour of
1: misguided medicine, right? That's true, Justin.
2: Is it true that our medical history podcast is just as good as a visit to your primary care physician?
1: no justin that is absolutely not true uh however our podcast is funny and interesting and a great way to learn about the medical misdeeds of the past as well as some current not so legit healthcare fads so
2: you're saying that by listening to our podcast people will feel better sure and isn't that the same reason that you go to the doctor
1: well uh, you could say that and our podcast is free yes it is free
2: you heard it here first, folks. Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguide the Medicine, right here on Maximum Fun. Just as good as going to the doctor.
1: No, no, no. Still not just as good as going to the doctor, but but pretty good. It's up there.
2: And we are back for one more thing. Maddie, you go first. What's your one more thing?
1: It's a movie again, folks, but I just keep watching really, really good movies. Yeah, so this right. is a totally different kind of movie that we watched this week. It's called Quiz Lady. It's a brand new movie this movie had me laughing pretty much the entire time. And I feel like it's been way too long since I laughed so hard that my stomach hurt and I felt like I was going to cry. And I just, I kept turning to Dina and being like, this is a really good movie. So I, I think everyone should watch this movie.
0: Okay. Uh, it
1: stars Aquafina and Sandra Oh, both of whom are playing against type in that Sandra Oh is playing the wacky manic pixie, like, Older sister who's never had a job in her entire life, like extremely stressful to be around, is like quote unquote manifesting her ideal life. But it's Sandra O, so she's Sandra O's age. And you're like, aren't you way too old to be talking about (laughs) manifesting something? And then Aquafina is this like phenom who's been watching. Jeopardy for her entire life. It's a fake version of Jeopardy called like what the quiz or something. And she is like eidetic memory, like incredible, but like also kind of agoraphobic and, and um, mm-hmm. like really anal retentive. The only person in her like impoverished family who's managed to hold down a job and like support her, her failing parents and failing older sister. <laughs> and she just kind of like lives with her dog and has no life. And so Sandra O's character kind of barges into Aquafina's life. And through a bizarre series of circumstances, their mother's gambling addiction basically, uh, the dog gets kidnapped and they have to get a lot of money really, really fast. And of course, the only way to do that is to get the shy, anal retentive Aquafina to go on this fake Jeopardy show. And it is so funny. Like, I just, I I don't know what Sandra, I've never seen Sandra O play a character like this before. And I'm so impressed with her timing and her like Mm. her outfits in this movie are insane. I don't know. I love her anyway, but I, I really, really recommend this movie. Also, um, this is going to make it sound like the movie is stupid, but Will Ferrell basically plays Alex Trebek in this movie, and I know he's done that before on SNL multiple times, right. <laughs> and <laughs> like a as a joke. Trebek. Like yeah. normally, Will Ferrell plays Alex Trebek, and it's like a joke. Like they make him say things Alex Trebek would never say.
0: No, no, no. In the SNL, he plays a straight. Well,
1: I guess I should say Sean Connery makes Sean Alex, Connery Trebek, the main exactly. he Alex Trebek. Yeah, Alex Trebek is saying things Alex Trebek would never say. Exactly. Uh, but in this version, like there's no sort of Sean Connery-esque character who's like sort of making fun of the Alex Trebek that Will Ferrell plays. Like it's very pure instead and he just plays it straight without that ever being interrupted, if that makes sense. Like I feel like I almost never get to see Will Ferrell do this, like play like a very pure role where you just enjoy his presence and it's understated. And I really liked it. Like I, I liked that he got to just, play Alex Trebek because you know Alex fun. Trebek not around anymore so he he plays that character
0: yeah that feels like a good homage that's like a fitting it is a, a really tribute. good
1: homage and it's pure the entire time and you just leave it and you're like Jeopardy was a good show what happened to it it's nice. too bad it never aired again <laughs> nobody <laughs> hosts it now and they're never gonna nope. air it again uh, but yeah so it's it's called Quiz Lady, and it's kind of a tribute to Jeopardy as a concept. And uh, it's really, really good. Um, it's on Hulu, and I recommend it.
2: Nice. Have you seen that movie Stranger Than Fiction that Will Ferrell is Yes. In? That is a good He's movie. He's pretty good in that. That's yeah. a nice performance. I like but, yeah. it
1: when when Will Ferrell plays, plays just a, a sweet guy. Just a guy. That's nice. Mm-hmm, just a yeah. guy. Doesn't always have to be elf, you know? He can just be no. a guy.
2: <laughs> Jason, what's your one more thing?
1: yeah, I man. i
0: i I haven't thought of that movie in years. I remember seeing that in theaters. Um, my warmer thing is a book about movies. It's a book called. MCU, and it's by Joanna Robinson, Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards. I've never heard of a book with three authors, but this is this is probably the first book I've seen with three authors, other than like some textbook or something. Um, but most people probably know Joanna Robinson because she's uh part of The Ringer and she does like a bunch of comics podcasting and stuff like that.
2: Did a Game of Thrones podcast back in the day that I used to listen to. She's great on.
0: Um and so this book, MCU, is kind of the attempt to do a deep dive into the entirety of the MCU starting with how it was formed and uh how it started happening and how um kind of starts actually with the earlier movies of Marvel so um really just kind of some background on that and then gets into how Kevin Feige wound up building this empire and the book has a lot of good access they have interviews with Feige among other people and it's really well reported and well researched and really interesting and and I really enjoyed reading it um it kind of tapers off towards the end when you can tell that like some of the stuff was a little too too recent um, to really get the inside info on. It's just
2: reporting, uh, reflecting life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the MC mm-hmm. kind of t- tapered kind of off. off. The end. Well, that's what I was gonna get
0: into. So actually, there's um, a lot of like reporting on why that happened and I think a lot of mm-hmm. people know the answer which is that um, Bob Iger leaves Disney and Bob Chapek steps in and the pandemic happens and Disney is like green light 1400 Disney plus shows and Kevin <laughs> Feige gets super distracted because Kevin Feige as it turns out was really like more than just a producer of every movie yeah. he was like a shadow director on every single film they did and he would like be reviewing edits and doing cuts and like reviewing the story and all this stuff like that so um, um him just being super distracted, or, or not distracted, really, just overwhelmed with all the content mm-hmm. that the MCU was putting out over the last couple of years just led to bad things. And, and so the movie does kind of, or the book does kind of explain why things went down the way it did. Um, and so it's really interesting, and there's a lot of just kind of like dishy juice if you want that Hollywood gossip this is a perfect book for you and it's also just a really interesting business book um it it kind of tells the story uh there's a villain in the story this guy named ike pearl who uh, oh, is a infamous a an infamous real life. Marvel. yeah well i mean the book is about real life so that makes sense no
1: it's not it's about marvel comic superheroes <laughs> right it? that's what true you it's about? all about this
0: floor <laughs> and all about spider-man and you have and an exclusive interview Scarlet with <laughs> to take on ike pearl mutter um and yeah a lot of interesting stuff there's also kind of like if you're wondering hey whatever happened to edward norton why wasn't he in the MC moving forward this book tells the story of that um this book has just a lot of there isn't like a ton i found that there wasn't a ton that was like totally new but i just found it really compelling and a really good read nonetheless it was just really um uh well reported well written well structured i just really enjoyed it um skimmed over a little bit said so there was they went into a little too much granular detail about like vfx and stuff but uh but otherwise yeah just really enjoyed it it's a good book again mcu is the name of the book i think it was a new york times bestseller so pretty successful and yeah i, I wish those those authors the best of luck because good stuff
1: Nice. Cool.
2: I'll check it out. I gather Edward Norton is a really chill, easy guy to work with. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's why they were like, you know, you're too. <laughs> That's why you're too, too, easy. It's too. easy to work with. It. You know, one, one recurring
0: theme actually is that like people get so sick of the demands and how intense everything is. Like John Favreau, um, after two movies, he was like, nope, can't do this again. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Too stressful. Or like um, Josh Whedon is, is portrayed in some interesting ways in this book, and uh, uh, not not good ways. I mean, but like he he's mm-hmm. like, nope, can't do this anymore and so on and so on James Gunn eventually tells the story of what happened there again a lot of yes. this stuff has been public but it's actually I find it very helpful to even if I know um stuff already mm-hmm. just seeing it all in one story is actually and just in still, order so uh, right yeah. this I mean like one chronological story it's still really compelling even if you know a lot of the details already just to see the story laid out the way it is in right. this book so I found it really interesting
2: Cool. yeah I'll have to read it I read that recent variety piece that we can oh maybe boy. link in show Real notes that was, just a-
0: that was almost like an epilogue to this even though it was yeah. a different author so Joanna Robinson mm-hmm. who who co-wrote MCU is quoted in that variety yep. piece and so yeah it does feel like it kind of like it was it was fun to read that as I was reading this book yeah Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for anyone who's curious,
2: kind of, why is Marvel not good anymore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that article has a lot
0: of answers. Yeah, that might literally um, be the
1: title. It's something yep. like that,
0: yeah. Why, is, <laughs> why Marvel not good? Why not good uh, anymore? Yeah, it's, that's a weird <laughs> that, that article, by the way, had a bombshell, which is that apparently they're considering doing a reunion of the original Avengers in the movie, Aww. which is ridiculous. Pretty
2: desperate. Yeah, I hope Incredibly that doesn't happen. Incredibly desperate. But, um, Well, I'll go last (laughs) since I'm the only one left. Uh, My one more thing is a Netflix show that I (laughs) watched in like two days with Emily, um, totally out of nowhere, out of the blue, you could say, and absolutely loved a show called Blue Eye Samurai that is a new Netflix anime uh, that totally rips if you're into samurai shit and action stories and love that kind of dueling, sword-swinging, blood-spraying, revenge tale. Holy crap, you will like this show. It totally rules. Um, This is, so like I said, this is an animated show, an extremely adult animated show, the most flopping penises I have ever seen in an animated show by far, (laughs) Um, in addition to being very violent and just generally very adult in not just in the violence and the sex and everything, but just in its themes and its characters. Can you,
0: can you just clarify, when you talk about sword swinging, um, <laughs> what are you talking oh, about? Oh boy, I'm talking about katana swords and oh, also okay, penises
2: gotcha. being referred to as swords. Gotcha. Because got quite it, a lot of sex it, in it. this show. <laughs> um, so this show is created by Michael Green and Amber Noizumi, who are a husband-wife team. Michael Green wrote Logan and Blade Runner 2049, two great movies. So, wow. Good writer. And Amber Noizumi has given some cool interviews about Sort of the genesis of the idea for this show, which is the tale of a woman of uh, mixed race heritage with a white father and a Japanese mother in Edo period Japan, which was a time period, at least in the show and I think in reality, when white people were totally kept out of Japan. And if you were, if you had, for example, as she does, as uh, Mizu, the main character, has blue eyes, that was seen as this like horrible deformity and you were seen as subhuman. So she is a woman pretending to be. A man who also is hiding her eyes. She wears these cool, like, sunglasses under her, you know, big straw hat, and she looks cool as shit. The art and character design, in this is so sick. Um, so, this is kind of based on Amber Nozemi's um, thoughts on her own child and on like mixed race heritage and what that means, um, and on like the sort of Western influence in Japan, which is a big theme of the story. So that's kind of the setting. It's the, a tale of this samurai Mizu who is like. Typical in one of these stories, this not the very silent, stoic, absolutely unstoppable warrior who's on a quest for revenge and comes across a variety of people. It starts that way, it follows some familiar beats, and then pretty quickly it really started surprising me. Um, It's edgier, it's more... Realistic, I suppose, in how it depicts the way things play out um, in a pretty hard-boiled way a lot of the time, but in a way that I just found surprising and constantly engaging. It just is a really good story. I read Patrana's review at Polygon, and she just talked about how it made her remember how much she likes a really well-told story, and I think that's really right on. Um, I I just loved watching it because the story rules, and also. The action in this show is out of control. The last time I've seen a show like this was probably Arcane, which had a similar feeling where the episodes are 48 minutes long. They clearly spent a lot of money and time developing them. And it just feels more special than your average animated show. This show is very much a showcase for Jane Wu who directed a lot of the action scenes. There's actually another really cool feature about her on Polygon that we can link in show notes. She's a storyboard artist who's done storyboards for the action sequences for a ton of Marvel movies actually for like all of this really big budget stuff. She's like the go-to lady for doing fight scenes in pre because a lot of that is kind of animated anyways. She's a martial artist and like knows her stuff. She knows how to fight. She knows how to move. She understands Stands like Hong Kong cinema and like a lot of those camera techniques that were developed um, in East Asia, and so she like brings a lot of that to this show. But this show is clearly like her unleashed, like they're like Jane Wu. She directed a couple episodes. She did a lot of the fight scenes, and I think they had a their whole like approach to the fight scenes was that it has to look like it's being shot with a camera. So mm. it's it's animated. They're using a kind of mix of computer animation and hand drawn stuff, but. When you're watching these fight scenes, it is, like, the most exciting, like, bone-crunching, incredible stuff. Like, it feels like you're watching this just, like, totally killer um, samurai flick. And, like, Mm -hmm. I mean... I can't say enough good about it. And then they all take their dicks out. <laughs>
1: well, and then
2: sometimes, yeah, a guy runs through the scene with his dick flopping around. Um, and that that definitely happens a lot of times. But really, I mean, it's just, it's a great, great show. It has a killer cast. Um, Mizu is played by Maya Erskine, actually, from Pen15. Wow. Who is, like, oh. totally locked in and just nails it. It also features George Takei, is really good in it. Um, Masai Oka from Hero plays the kind of sidekick. He's really good. Brenda Song is in it. Randall Park. Kenneth Branagh plays, like, the villain and it's like a killer voice cast honestly like this show is really something special we watched the entire thing in like two days um, I loved it to death and just think it rules and can't wait for season two so um, that is my glowing recommendation for Blue Eye Samurai which is on Netflix and uh, Whip's Ass
0: how many episodes is it?
2: it is eight episodes they are about an hour long
0: so it's a
2: you know pretty significant uh, experience but I kind of liked that about it I felt like I wanted more at the end cool so, yeah. a good wow sign. it sounds awesome it rules. Uh, really, really liked it. So yeah, that's uh, that's our episode, everybody.
0: Just you a know. bunch of good
1: stuff this week. That's all we talk yeah. about now.
0: Yeah, I am off to deal with the dark presence in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, good luck. Good about- luck.
1: You must write to escape.
0: Yeah, I know. Right.
2: This is Jason's going to finish his book and be like, "It's not an ocean. It's it's just a lake." Actually, yeah, right, <laughs> It Turns out it's just a right, lake. Right. <laughs>
0: it's, it's fine. <laughs> Tryer.
1: Is that helping, Jason?
0: I hear those Jesus listeners. Shire. Well, what I do is I go to Starbucks and I sit and work for a while, and I plug in headphones, and then I record myself whispering Shrier and then listen to that. <laughs> God, that's how oh, that's how I write. Horrible. That's my, yeah, very very conducive to my totally um, So the the person the person I texted about Lance Reddick uh, is probably asleep, so did not respond. But <laughs> if I get an answer, right. I will have Kirk bring it in uh, in the in the show. Great. Great.
2: so that means people already heard it actually so maybe they wow. already yeah, heard the well that's
0: bang. yeah this is some time travel action that's pretty,
2: hmm. we cannot know it's Schrodinger's Bing in this moment, mm-hmm.
0: we have no we idea. We have no idea, but people listening to this will know. That's a weird, they do know. So weird concept. They it's will a real know. paradox. Much
1: like Mr. Door, they'll be aware of an episode that we have yet to complete. Exactly. <laughs> it's
0: true. Exactly. It's true. <laughs> oh man, we better we better <laughs> sign off before our brains break.
2: Yes, yes, my mind is starting to melt. Uh we'll see the two of you next week. See
0: you guys next week.
1: Bye.
2: Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes.